Why are there four Gospels? What happens to unborn babies when they die? What does it mean to fear God? Find faithful Bible-based answers to tough theological questions when you read the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, a magazine of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness to get six issues for only $6.99. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. It's always a little bit creepy whenever a large conglomerate of a bunch of big Fortune 500 companies come together and start to dictate bathroom policies. More and more, God's Word is showing up less and less in evangelical preaching. Every person is going to see something wrong with their pastor. Now, why has the Lord let you see that wrong thing about your pastor? The answer is so that you can pray for them. Every sin is a form of unbelief, where we do not believe that God's going to take care of us like he takes care of the birds in the air and the flowers in the field. This is Chaplain Colonel Philip Hauser calling to say that all Christian patriots love doing push-ups while listening to issues, etc. Carry on. It's the hardest job you'll ever do, probably. I mean, there are jobs that are physically more demanding, maybe mentally more demanding. I don't think there are jobs that require more of oneself, that is, to give oneself, to live as a, well, as Paul would put it, a living sacrifice to your closest neighbors. In this case, your closest neighbors being your children. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be continuing our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. Today we're going to talk about boundaries, get a little bit into James chapter 1 and James chapter 5 with Pastor Jonathan Fisk. After our conversation with Pastor Fisk, Pastor Heath Curtis joins us to talk about demographics in American Christianity. It's just a general decline. We usually think or like to think that it's a decline among more liberal mainline Protestant denominations, and they are declining precipitously. But everyone is as well. We're going to talk about, as the beginning of a series with Pastor Heath Curtis, what are the demographics behind the decline in American Christianity? I'll give you a little hint. It has something to do with not having children. In fact, it has a lot to do with it. Bill McKeever will join us after that to talk about the excommunication of a high-ranking Mormon official. We know very little, but what we do know is this doesn't happen very often. We'll get explained in the last 20 minutes of Issues Etc. You can join us with questions or comments for the next two hours, one 877 623-6943. Send us an email, talkback at issuesetc.org, a tweet at issuesetc. Or the Issues Etc. listener comment line is always open for your questions, your comments, your show suggestions, 618-223-8382, 618-223-8382. Joining us for part four of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism today to talk about boundaries Pastor Jonathan Fisk, host of a radio talk show, Cold Sharper Iron, an author of the book Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often As Possible. Jonathan, welcome back. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. So today, just generally speaking, we're going to pick up where we left off on the issue of 
setting boundaries, maintaining boundaries. Someone is likely to have listened so far to this series and say, but Pastor Fisk, you're a Lutheran and boundaries are, are their lines, their rules, and that makes them the law. And you're a Lutheran and Lutherans aren't supposed to be about the law. They're supposed to be about the gospel. What's your response? Yeah, that's right. The law is bad, right? And we, we're free from it. We got to get away from it. I, I, I got a response to that, but I, first I want to make sure we understand, you know, what the word boundary means. That this is, this is a psychological term, and it's something that is, I think, important to not just Christian thought, although we find it in in Christian thought and the Christian worldview, but we also find it in, I think, the best of secular psychology when you're dealing with relationships and family systems and all of this. That that a boundary, like unto. The boundary between your neighbor's yard and your yard is a line that both parties agree upon that should not be crossed. And so in personal relationships, it's pretty much essential that if you're going to relate to each other, you both have to understand where that relationship begins and ends, what its limits are, what its what its powers are, and all these kinds of things. And that's what a boundary is. So boundaries can, like the neighbor's yard, move. You can buy more land and kind of move that fence or what have you, but it's it's a line that, that creates a relationship. And in that sense, uh, it's something that then needs to be talked about as important. And as, as the question asks, it is part of the law. It's a part of the first article creation, the, the way that we are made to, to live and exist. And if, if someone hears Lutheran preaching of the gospel in all of its sweetness and the fullness of the reality, that you are free from the tyranny of the law, that you are no longer under the law as a taskmaster, and thinks that this somehow means that the law has ceased to be good or has gone away, they're misunderstanding or they're mishearing and maybe not even quite believing uh, what the gospel itself is saying. And Lutherans, while we are most definitely evangelical in the best sense of the word, people of the gospel, I would say before we are evangelical, we are people of the word. We, We are biblical. And it is only because we are biblical that we can be confident in the fullness of this pure, central gospel. We get it from the scriptures. And those scriptures containing both law and gospel as two totally true words from God, of which one definitely predominates when we're talking about our relatedness to God himself, that doesn't mean that the other word is now less true. And then particularly as our confessions, as Lutherans define the law as nothing other than the will of God for his creation, or I like the phrase design of creation, the the manner in which God created the world to work well, the chief center of which is love for each other, none of that goes away just because God loves us more than our sin. <laughs> Quite the other way around. Now, finally, freed from the tyranny of our inability to keep the law for selfish reasons, I can begin to perceive what God really intended it to be for in the first place, which isn't for me, but is for my neighbor. And that's exactly why I want to talk about boundaries and the wisdom of James with regard to parenting as the role of neighbor to neighbor. That is, parent over child is a neighbor to neighbor vocational relationship, an institution of authority that God has created for the sake of the child. And part of that then means we got to have these boundary lines drawn in good places, knowing how to draw them, how to move them as the child ages and grows, because the boundary you have with your infant will not, should not be the same as the boundary you have with your 18-year-old or with your adult child. So we know how to move them, but we also know how to recognize and love them for what they are, because really that boundary between you and your neighbor's yard, that's what frees you to be neighbors. And without that, what you have is a fight. So you, what it sounds like you're saying is that you really can't parent your children. You can't raise your children as a Christian father or mother 
especially raise them as Christians, without these boundaries, without these laws that are that in the best of all possible circumstances are going to reflect God's perfect and goodwill. Yeah, that's right. Well, because you can't be a parent without the boundary of being a parent itself, right? So, so if God's will revealed to us in the Ten Commandments starts this conversation by designating one human being adult or or parent or father particularly, and another human being child, son, daughter, what have you. If it starts there, then then that must continue. And to try to raise the child without that relationship is to is to not be a parent in any way and is also to basically to set the the whole relationship or the relatedness between the two humans onto a a, a windy wavy chaos if you just imagine a stormy sea a stormy sea is a great example of a place with no boundaries right except for death <laughs> as, it, as it capsizes you but otherwise as you struggle to stay afloat there is no foothold and so this is where to understand from the child's perspective and granted the child being a sinner is always going to resist boundaries we we hate authority by by root it's it's in our it's in our concupiscence in our sinfulness but the child also thrives on lives on the structure that these boundaries create because they create a security between the child and the parent just as again the fence between you and your neighbor creates or even just the the boundary line marker knowing that this is my grass that's your grass it creates a security that's there and i would say that the security between parent and child that is created for the child is far superior and far more intense than the 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 security created between you and your neighbor over who gets to mow what part of lawn who has to cut down whatever tree or what have you without that security blanket in the best sense of the word without those boundaries around the child the child doesn't know what reality is it doesn't know where reality begins and ends and in that sense even with your infant giving the infant infant boundaries including using words to to begin to to talk to them about where these limitations are and those words themselves by the way as language are a whole nother boundary right that we communicate with these sounds and not with these sounds to give the child that is to give them the secure footing of existence both mentally uh, spiritually and then uh, especially in the young ages you got to do it physically otherwise i mean anyone who's had a had a boy at least knows they'll they'll kill themselves by their time they're age five if you're not careful so this is, uh, before we get into these James passages, this is constant vigilance on the part of father and mother, isn't it? Yeah, it really, it really is. And I think James is going to have a lot to say about just that reality because it's very hard, it's very easy to intend to set a boundary for your child and then let the sinful condition of both you and your child move that boundary. And when that happens, it's not like it's, it's like the world collapses in a moment. But that can really eke away at the the communication value of the relationship itself. I'll just try to give an example. I remember growing up next to a kid whose whose mom, I mean, she was a she was a divorcee. It was a tough thing. She had to work, so I don't want to like bash her or anything. But I remember I remember him getting grounded at least once a week, and usually it was like you're grounded for two weeks, and like a day later he was outside again playing. And I was too young to really kind of say, hey, weren't you grounded? It just kind of was this pattern that happened again and again. And what was going on, if I can, if I can put the pieces together, is that she, he, he did something naughty. He did something wrong that it did need to be structured in and needed to have a boundary set on it. She, in anger, would overreact and let whatever else was struggling in her life, which is, I don't know, I don't doubt at all, a very real thing, cause a, a boundary that was not only over, an overly strong punishment for the crime, but a boundary that she couldn't keep. 
especially since she wasn't present. So to ground him for, for two weeks when she wasn't there was something she couldn't maintain. And then at a certain point, the work to maintain it became too much for the parent. And so the parent would just verbally give up on the boundary. But what this did was it taught the child that the boundary didn't exist. And he can get grounded as much as he wanted. It really didn't matter. It was just an afternoon in, in trouble. And so eventually the ability to use that structure or that boundary to help the child learn this is a dangerous or a stupid thing to be doing was lost in that relationship. And so the vigilance question, as you ask, yeah, it requires constant vigilance and discernment, both in making the punishment fit the crime, but then also making sure that you have the wherewithal and the will to to complete the punishment. And it's not always a punishment. I mean, asking my son to not run with sticks is not a punishment. It's it's strictly a, uh, a, a boundary to protect his physiology, right? Uh, and so the wherewithal, though, to maintain that. So, and I'll, a great example from last night. I don't know how, I love my boy, but I don't know how he finds these sticks. Last night he had this branch. I mean, I, I thought I got them all out of the yard. I really did. And and they were all like in a, in a bag to be taken away by the trash collectors. And this thing was like this Gandalf-style staff. I mean, it was just huge. And he could have, you know, struck someone through with it. And he's sitting there with it. I said, where did you get this boy? You know, and, and, he, and then I, I, I got to watch the sadness on his face as I take away the toy that I know he really really, really likes, but I also know the damage it can do. And so that's hard as a parent to, to maintain the boundary that has been set, uh, to, to believe that it's for the good, not just of him, but for his sisters as well, and probably for the property <laughs> as well, uh, to maintain that even over and against the child's joy at a certain point uh, their, and their willfulness. It's, it, it never ends. You said it at the start. This is the, the hardest thing you'll ever do. And I don't think any of us can really say we do it perfectly or rightly. In fact, if you're going into this thinking somehow you're going to pat yourself on the back at the end of it, I'd say you've probably set yourself up for pretty massive failure. It's the other way around. You know, All of this, the boundaries, the law, we're still under grace. And so it's still a matter of, if I got to say this, I don't know if this language works this way, but to me, the most important boundary I have in parenting for my children is to try to remember that the most important thing to teach them is that there's forgiveness and there's grace for the breaking of boundaries without, as you said with your first question, getting rid of the boundaries altogether by by doing that. So um, with about a minute here before we take a break, the first place you wanted to look in the epistle from James is in the first chapter. What are those verses? Then we'll get into them on the other side of the break. Yeah, it's, it's James chapter one, verses five through eight. And I think this is, this sets it up that the real verse comes later, but but this really sets it up particularly for the parent who is wondering, how do I do this? Right, And it, it starts, well, not with you, but with believing that this is how God created you. And then believing that as a redeemed child of God in Christ, Asking God to enlighten you on this is basically promised to have an answer. So he says in chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, an understanding of how the world works, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The one who doubts is one who has no boundaries, right? For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything for the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, so to be without boundaries with self is double-minded, doubly so for, for children. But then the thrust here, and I'd love to pick it up again on the other side of the break, the thrust is, where does this all come from? It comes from God and it comes from his word. And if you aren't sure about how to parent, the place to start is not listen to me on the radio or a book, is to, is to ask God to give you this wisdom as he has designed it for the sake of you and your children. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part four of our series on raising Christian children. 
in an age of progressivism. We're talking about boundaries. He's host of a radio show called Sharper Iron and author of the book Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often As Possible. When we come back, a little more on that passage from James chapter 1. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to, to say that not only has Jesus died, but he's died for you. It's not only that he's risen, but he's risen for you. He doesn't, he isn't ascended into, the, into heaven just in some sort of abstraction, but he's ascended into heaven for you to intercede for you. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller talking about his presentation at the 2017 Fall Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. And that, that work of the Holy Spirit to press the events of the gospel, of the work of God, into our own hearts and into our own ears and into our own conscience comes through fantastically with those words for you. You can meet and hear Pastor Brian Wolfmiller making the case for the for you of Christianity at our fall Making the Case conference Friday, November 10th and Saturday, November 11th in Houston, Texas. You'll find a list of speakers, topics, and registration information at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, November 10th and 11th in Houston. Daily Exercise for the Christian Mind. You're listening to Issues Etc. Who is the Holy Spirit? Will there be animals in heaven? How can parents raise Christian children in a hostile culture? This month, find faithful Bible-based answers to tough theological questions when you subscribe to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's flagship magazine, The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org slash trilutheranwitness to get six issues for only $6.99. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes. Dedicated customer service and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House. Listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House. cph.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's part four of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. We're talking about boundaries today. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. One of the uh, kind of presuppositions of using that passage from James chapter 1, Pastor Fisk, is that uh, what we're talking about here, raising Christian children, requires a wisdom that is beyond us, one from which, uh, one we, we must receive from God, one that, as James says, he urges us to ask for. Talk about that wisdom that is beyond us. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting question because there is a level at which this wisdom is not beyond us. It, it is, in a natural law sense of the term, Confucius understood parenting pretty well. He understood boundaries very well, and he, he set up a philosophical system for an entire civilization that to this day influences multiple religions and has kept Asian society as a whole very family-oriented and quite capable of passing on ideas and, and beliefs and cares from one generation to the next. So it's not like it's all hidden. 
The part that is truly hidden is this idea of grace that I was talking about earlier, or forgiveness, that the final key to parenting is not the boundary itself, but the reality, the acknowledgement that when we transgress these boundaries, the eternal ones, the, the designed creation ones, and then the ones we just set up, like you know, not running with sticks, that when, when we transgress these boundaries, our relationship is not broken by them but is forgiven and covered by the blood of Christ, and that God refusing to break relationship with us because of our trespasses, right? And that's that's a boundary word, trespassing. Uh, his refusal to, to not break relationship with us, but to reestablish, confirm, and save us, then is the foundation of the, the manner of the Christian household, or if there is a, a moray to the Christian household, the moray is grace alone, right? But not a grace which rejects the boundaries as as if they're bad, but one which can survive past the breaking of boundaries in such a way that it also acknowledges the breaking of the boundary does harm and then strives to keep those boundaries for the sake of the good of the other. And, and this is a mysterious thing. I mean, we struggle with this, even today as Lutherans, even to talk about it, because the tension between law and gospel is not a balance, it's a tension. The tension between law and gospel is unbelievable. And it's imparted, as Pastor Wolfman was saying in the in the, that break there, right? It's, it's imparted only by the Holy Spirit through His Word, and that's why praying really at the start of your parenting journey or or agenda, praying for the wisdom to know how to rightly distinguish law and gospel for your children, both in terms of the actual authentic doctrine, but also in terms of the application of grace and structure to your child, is tremendously important. But then with that. Acknowledging and, and striving in an age of lawlessness to embrace law within the family, boundary within the family, as the only way to not have a family that is basically a ship on a sea tossed about by every wind and driven by every wave that comes along, a, a two-faced human being who forgets himself every time he tries to establish something. Remember my story about my, my neighbors getting grounded two weeks every day. It, it, what happens is you have nothing whatever to stand on, and then the relationship ends up, ends up being entirely broken. It also means that while grace prevails while your children in the Fisk household, they go to bed knowing that they are forgiven by mother and father, no matter how big the stick <laughs> your son was carrying mm-hmm. around, and that they are, more importantly, forgiven through Jesus Christ by their heavenly father. There are temporal consequences, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think I said this uh, two times ago or so. I mean, he learned it the hard way when he pierced his lip with a stick you know it, it's he, he didn't he actually didn't learn it though which is another thing but yeah there, there are temporal consequences so when you when you the whole reason in my mind to teach my children to respect my boundaries is not necessarily because my boundaries are even right although i'm trying to make them as good and reasonable as possible but it's to teach them that the breaking of boundaries in the universal or the natural law sense always has a consequence and so if they can't learn to to work and finish a task even if they don't like it they will be incapable of being citizens of a country they will be incapable of maintaining a relationship with another human being in a marriage in which they have to forgive each other and do things that they don't want to do for the good of the other person so even something as simple as trying to have the child have a set of chores is not just about you know me not having to wash the dishes although i do kind of like it when that happens right but it really is about equipping that child to face the world as it as it really is so that 
They understand natural consequences, and they even embrace them and see those as good things, but then avoid well, avoid the sword, as it were, if we can go a little, little Romans 13 on it there. It does explain much of what we see in society today. Um, we see the results of a boundary-less kind of parenting, uh, not just permissive, but um, uh, uh, what striving for constant affirmation yeah. of the children. I mean, we see it in our all, not only in the parentless consequences of things like the prison population, but on college campuses and university campuses today, don't we? Oh yeah, and, and some of the this rebellion or the social justice movement on college campuses is very much an attempt to take a boundaryless childhood and press it into the the nation or the civilization itself. So since I was allowed to do whatever I wanted, and now my teachers are telling me that I, I should be allowed to do whatever I want, I see this collegiate system, which is giving limitations to what I do and what I want, and is telling me I can't do it. And so I'm going to I'm going to fight against that, and I'm going to call that justice. I'm going to call that freedom, even though what is again ultimately happening is we're breaking down the ability to have a conversation in any way, shape, or form. I also want to say you mentioned you said earlier you know the kids in the Fisk household go to bed knowing that they're forgiven. Now I, I want to I want to really just emphasize this. I hope so, but I don't know. You know, I, I, there are times when they have to go to bed and I'm still angry about at one of them for this, that, or the other thing. And I will force through gritted teeth that I forgive you. I love you. I'm angry right now. I need you to know that. I'll get over it. I want you to know I love you. But see, the emotion there is not necessarily one of happiness and joy as we're going to bed. And, and the look on their face doesn't scream confidence in father's love. It screams fear. Right. And this is not like I'm, I'm like, I'm not throwing pots and pans or anything crazy like that. I'm just, I'm just not happy. Right. And so I, I hope so. And this is something I strive for. And on the other side, while I'm afraid of not giving my children enough grace in such a way that they know it and that they like, I, this is a good postmodern move, but that, that they would feel it as authentic. At the same time, I'm terrified that I don't give them enough structure for being able to handle the world outside that I am not preparing them to truly engage a world that is is not going to give them what they want, is not going to bend for them, and that they're going to have to find a way to be a servant to. And so, you know, if this this is the constant struggle of the parent uh, to to hold both of those things in tension, to recognize your own condemnation before the throne of God in this, that there really is no way to say, I achieved this or I've done this right, but to not condemn yourself so much that you stop <laughs> and to not get so caught up in your feeling that you failed to not try again tomorrow. And that is, that's pretty huge, equally or maybe more than the, well, the civilization without boundaries, which as, as you point out, is just narcissifying itself to death. There was another verse in James that you wanted to look at, this time in chapter 5. So this is this is the one that really I mean, it has broad applications, but it, it really is, if you're going to take a lesson into parenting or take a word from Scripture into parenting that is about how to parent practically or as law, it is James chapter 5, verse 12, where he says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, that's important, but I'm really getting at the next part, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I would say that one of the most important things you can do for your kids is make sure that when you say yes, something's going to happen, it happens. And make sure when you say no, I'm not going to let that happen, it happens. And as by way of example, one of the ways I've tried to do this with my own children 
is if I've said no to them about a particular thing, like let's say, can we play Minecraft this evening? And I say, I would really like to, but no, we don't have time. We can't do it. If there is a fit that is thrown at that moment, I will come right back at them very gently and say, because you're throwing a fit, now I have to extend the boundary even further so that you will understand that no meant no and you can't break it. So now, not only can we not play tonight, there's no way we're going to play tomorrow. Now, that that didn't work the first time I did it. The kid kept fighting. And so we lost whatever it was. I don't remember, first child way back when. But, you know, she lost whatever it was for a good week. The next time, it didn't take quite as long for her to get the point. And, And now, for the most part... When we do say no, it only takes one warning, and and they do understand that reality that our no is no and our yes is yes. But the value of no being no is not just that, well, then they don't ever argue with you. They still are going to argue with you, obviously. That happens plenty. Uh, But the, the value of it is then they also begin to trust your yes to be yes. And when your yes is yes, when you are able to affirm something and they believe it to be true, now you have this value of words. This value of distinctions and, and I might say the value of promises, that they're able to trust a future which is also good even as they live within a world that has limitations on it. And that has profound spiritual implications for the life of the child, for learning how to understand law and gospel in the, in the Christian sphere, to embrace their faith, and also for learning how to live with others in integrity and honesty. So again, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's hard to do. But if you say you're going to ground your kid for two weeks because you lost your temper, do it. Don't back off unless you're going to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I was angry, and I said too much. I need your forgiveness for this. You're only grounded for three days. Well, fine. Okay, if you can if you can swallow your pride and do that, that's fine. But if you're going to draw that line, hold that line because it will give the child security at the end of the day to know that yes, yes is yes, no is no, and that they are not the parent. They don't want that, that that freedom ultimately. Much of their pressing of the boundary, much of their fighting, much of their rebellion, especially in the young years, the, the two to five years as they scream and throw tantrums, they're trying to find out if you're honest. They're trying to find out if you mean it. They're trying to find where the edge of the sandbox is so that they can be safe in the sandbox. And if you give them those firm edges, they'll sit pretty contentedly in that sandbox, even though they are going to walk to the end every so often and kick the edge to find out if it's still there. Now, we haven't talked about how as they grow, you got to make a bigger sandbox for them. And, and that that's really important too, right? So the boundary you set for your, your five-year-old and running with sticks is eventually going to be the same kid's going to need to have a car somehow, some way, and drive this massive machine that can certainly kill people with if he's not careful. you got to find a way to bridge those things and move bit bit by bit at a time, and it's probably a discussion for another time, but it's one worth having. But none of that can happen if the boundaries don't exist at all, and if you as a parent don't believe that your primary task is to draw lines in the sand, primary law-based task, primary legal task, fourth commandment task, is to draw lines in the sand for the safety and security and well-being of your child's physiology, emotional state, and their spiritual welfare. Finally then, let's come back to where we began, which is, it sounds easy when we say it this way. But again, this is the one of the hardest things God calls a Christian father and mother to do. Your final pastoral thoughts there. Yeah, well, you know, I, when I, I didn't plan on this, but glancing back at verses 7 through 11 of James chapter 5 right there, I mean, it's, it's like he's talking to the parent. Be, be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. Look how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another so you may not be judged. And as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. That is the parent's task. You're going you're gonna to fight a losing battle every single day 
in patient hope, knowing that the word of the Lord has established this office for you as a good thing, and that the blood of the Lord has redeemed both you and the office for the sake of your child. So as you go into this, my advice to you as a pastor, again, is is remember the gospel counts for you too. You are forgiven of your failures as parenting, and this is not a reason to, to, to neglect it. This is a reason to embrace it as one of the most laudable good works that can possibly be done, even as impossible as it remains to do it perfectly. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is host of a radio talk show called Sharper Iron. He's author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. You'll find a link to that book right there at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Listen on Demand or call Concordia Publishing House and Order Broken by Pastor Jonathan Fisk, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Jonathan Thank you very much. Look forward to our next conversation. Uh, thank you, and thanks for all you do, Editions, et cetera. When we come back, Pastor Heath Curtis is going to join us. Everybody knows you don't have to be uh, that vigilant about the numbers here to know that Christian denominations, Christianity, your congregation, graying, growing older, by and large, if it's an average congregation, it is. it may not be shrinking, but it may just be holding its own What's behind this in American Christianity? We're going to talk some demographics with Pastor Heath Curtis on the other side of the break on this Wednesday afternoon, August the 9th. Then Bill McKeever will join us to talk about the excommunication of a high-ranking Mormon official. And we will go through our trip to Wittenberg, Germany, a little bit of a travel log in our two of issues, etc. Memoria Press invites all Issues Etc. listeners to explore our Simply Classical curriculum, a set of full-year academic curriculum packages for children with learning challenges. Our classical writing program and our Christian studies are now based on your favorite CPH Bible storybooks. To learn more, visit classicalspecialneeds.com and use promo code LPR to save on your initial purchase. That's classicalspecialneeds.com. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. We Lutherans were never aided by following along with some other traditions, theological priorities, and catchphrases. Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Heath Curtis, coordinator for stewardship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod on a Lutheran approach to stewardship. Other folks are not approaching it from our good, solid Lutheran understanding of law and gospel and vocation. There's a place to talk about this in Christianity, and we have a way of talking about stewardship as Lutherans without ever using the word stewardship, if you like. I'm going to talk to you today about your vocation in your home, in your church, in your society, and how each one of these makes a claim on you, on your presence, on your support, on your prayers. That's how we should talk about this as Lutherans. You'll find several stewardship resources at lcms.org slash stewardship, lcms.org slash stewardship.
Real Reformation Radio, you're listening to Issues Etc. Throughout the history of the United States, we as a country have enjoyed our catchphrases from give me liberty or give me death to today's classic, it is what it is. TV commercials have added such classics as where's the beef to eat fresh. Here at St. Mark Lutheran Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, we do not resort to catchphrases. Here we are about growing God's family by preaching God's word, by administering the sacraments and building up God's people. So the next time you find yourself in central Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, come join the friendly folks at St. Mark in Edmond. You'll be glad you did. This is most certainly true. A year ago, my wife and I returned to America from five years of ministry in Karachi, Pakistan. I cannot adequately express how wonderful it was listening to Lutheran Public Radio's music broadcast each Sunday morning before church service. We still listen. You can listen to Lutheran Public Radio, sacred music for the world, anytime, day or night, at lutheranpublicradio.org, Amazon Echo, Google Home, and on the LPR mobile app.